Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's get our Bibles out and open them up to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. As most of you know, I'm always insistent that you get a Bible out and follow along, but tonight I need to be extra insistent that everybody be following along in a Bible, and you will see exactly why here in just a moment. That's all going to begin in Genesis chapter 40. As you're turning there, let me say how good it is to see everybody this evening. We do have guests with us uh, once again. We appreciate so much the fact that you've come to be with us. I hope that you've had a good afternoon, maybe a stress-free afternoon, and that we were able to enjoy the, the daylight while it lasted. But I'm glad that you've made the decision, even here in the darkness of night, to come and to worship God once more. I always love our Sunday evening assemblies. I just think we have incredible worship services on Sunday night. And so thank you so much for, for being here and for taking part. In Genesis chapter 40, I'm reading here about Joseph as Joseph is imprisoned and he is interpreting dreams for the prisoners there. In Genesis chapter 40, notice what he says to one of the prisoners in verse 12. He says, this is his interpretation, that the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Verse 14. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this place. A couple of months ago, there was a video that surfaced and made its way around social media, and actually ended up catching some mainstream attention, about some high school students in Memphis, Tennessee. On the right there in that picture is a young student by the name of Michael Todd. He's a freshman at MLK Prep. And he was brand new to the Memphis area, had just moved to that area and didn't really know anybody, wasn't really friends with anybody. But during his first three weeks of school in this new school, this new environment, Michael was being bullied. And in particular, he was being made fun of by other students for wearing the same clothes to school every day. When these other two students, Christopher Graham and Antoine Garrett, a couple of upperclassmen who also happen to be football players, when they learned of some of the mocking and the bullying that he was having to endure, they went home and they gathered up a bunch of their own clothes, some shirts and some shorts and some pants, as well as a brand new pair of sneakers, put all that stuff in a bag, put it in a box, and they approached Michael the following day after class to first of all apologize for all of the people who had made fun of him, and then secondly, to give him this gift. And Michael, of course, was just totally caught off guard by the generosity of those two boys. And in the video, at the conclusion of the video, you can actually hear Michael say, you guys are the best guys of my entire life. A simple act of kindness. We never tire of hearing about people who do kind things like that. That's why these kinds of stories do make it to the local news. It's why these kinds of stories do go viral on the internet. It's because everybody loves to see kindness. Kindness is grace in action. It is mercy and tenderheartedness and compassion all rolled up together into one. It is, quite simply, being nice. It is doing good for somebody without any expectation of return. And that is exactly, as you look here at Genesis chapter 40, that is exactly what Joseph is looking for. He says to this man in the prison, he says, I need your help. You're going to get to leave this place. You're going to get to go to the palace shortly. And I can't demand of you, I can't expect of you any kind of favors to be shown toward me. I just, I just wish 
that you would do me this kindness when you get the opportunity. Now, I don't know anybody who thinks that the world couldn't use more kindness, do you? I've never met anybody who said, oh, kindness, I, you know, whatever, no big deal, I don't really care about kindness. No, we're all glad to witness and to see kindness. And furthermore, we're very happy to be the recipients of kindness. But as the people of God, we've actually been called to another level. We have been called to actively demonstrate kindness. Through kind deeds and kind words, we are to be people who show kindness. Of course, that's hard sometimes. Because there really isn't anything natural about kindness. What is natural for us is to be selfish and to be self-centered and to be jerky. But what takes time and effort and thought is to be kind. Which is why this evening my intention is pretty singular. My intention is to try and help raise the kindness quotient. My goal this evening, it's really kind of just a one-point sermon, is to encourage all of us to simply be more kind. This is a time of year that I think kind of lends itself to showing kindness. So I want to capitalize on that by talking about kindness. In fact, I really don't want to be the one that does the talking about kindness tonight. What I want to do is I want to let the Bible do the talking this evening. Over the next few minutes, what I intend to do is just read as many verses as we possibly can about what the Bible says about kindness. From time to time, I have presented lessons along this line. In fact, this will be the fifth of its kind, where I just kind of stand out of the way. You're not up here hearing all of the brilliant thoughts and ideas of Josh McKibben. You're not hearing all kinds of explanation or commentary on my part. No, we're just going to let the Word of God do the talking with force and with power. And those lessons in previous occasions, I think those were all well received, and I hope tonight will be no different. My hope is that by us kind of taking in aggregate a preponderance of all of the evidence, that we will see just how important kindness is to the Lord, and thus, how important kindness ought to be for us. And so, if you have not already, open up a Bible. This is designed to be very participatory this evening. And the way that you can participate is by reading along with me. If you don't do that, this is probably going to be a very long night for you. In fact, after a while, what's going to happen is I'm going to start sounding like the teacher on the Charlie Brown cartoons. Wah, 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 kindness, wah, 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 kindness. That's all it's going to sound like to you. So instead, let's work together in the Scriptures And in fact, a lesson like this and us working in the Bible, that's going to allow us to go and familiarize ourselves with maybe some sections in the Bible that we've not spent a whole lot of time in. If nothing else tonight, we'll learn how to find the verses in our Bible, things that don't often get an awful lot of attention. Let's hear the biblical call, though, for kindness. And that all begins just by noticing some things about what the Bible says. What the Bible says about the supreme kindness... Of God. I'm going to start that in Psalm 145. In Psalm 145, this is credited as being a Psalm of David. In Psalm 145, I'll say this to note takers. Note takers, you may not be able to keep up and get to the scriptures at the same time, so choose you this day which one of those two things you're going to serve. In Psalm 145, this is verse 17. David says there, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. 
and kind in all His works. Let me add to that what's said in the book of Ruth, please. In Ruth chapter 2. I love this little expression in Ruth chapter 2 because it says something about Naomi, that was Ruth's mother-in-law. It says some things about her understanding of God and about the characteristics and the qualities of God. She says this in Ruth chapter 2 and in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi had had to experience a lot of difficult things in her life, but she was still able to recognize, even in the midst of all of those storms, she was still able to spot the kindness of God. In the book of Hosea now, I'll give you a minute to find Hosea. In Hosea chapter 11, let's dust off a minor prophet. In Hosea 11, this is a marvelous description of the exodus of how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. But it's actually not talked about in those strict terms the way that Exodus details it. Instead, it's couched under the image of the Lord wooing His bride, wooing Israel to come to Him. And so in Hosea chapter 11 and in verse 4, the prophet says this, Hosea 11 verse 4, this is God talking, I led them with cords of kindness with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. Have you ever thought about that? That God didn't just march Israel out of Egypt. He could have done that. He could have just done a forced march. He could have just, hey, Moses, chain all these people up. We're dragging them out of Egypt. I'm going to take them where they need to go. And that's not what God did. Instead, God wooed them. And He wooed them with kindness. Let's go to the New Testament now. Look in the book of Luke, please, in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, we see the continued kindness of the Lord in the New Testament. In Luke 6, this is Jesus' sermon on the plain. And He talks here about what life is to be like, how you're to live as a citizen in the kingdom. In Luke chapter 6, as He talks about loving our enemies, He says in verse 35, in Luke 6 and verse 35, He says, "...but love your enemies and do good." and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He, the Most High, that's God, He is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. That's amazing. God's kindness isn't just for people who are kind to Him. God's kindness is for everyone. That kind of kindness is seen once again in Romans chapter 2 now. In Romans chapter 2, have you ever stopped and wondered about why God doesn't just bring down the curtain on this universe and just kind of close the show and just wrap it all up. You know, there's so much wickedness in this world. Another school shooting. Another terrorist attack. Another kidnapping. Why didn't God just bring this whole world to an end and let's just go to heaven? Well, Romans 2 tells us why. It's because of God's kindness in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 4. Paul says there, Romans 2 and in verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Think about this. Every day that the world stands is a testament to the kindness of God. As God is giving people one more day, one more opportunity to repent. Finally in this connection, in Ephesians chapter 2, In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul portrays salvation as being simply an act of kindness from God. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about it in those terms. In Ephesians chapter 2, look in verses 5 through 7. In Ephesians 2 and in verse 5, he says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 now. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, in many ways, that is more than enough. We actually could quit and just go home right now if we wanted to. Because if God is like that, then we ought to be able to connect the dots on our own pretty easily. That if that's what God is like, well, that's a pretty good indication of what God expects us to be like. But the truth is, that is not all that the Bible has to say about kindness. For example, we get to add another layer to the kindness of the Lord because we get to watch the Lord through the person of Jesus. We get to see Jesus' kindness in action in the Scriptures. Like, for example, in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, this is maybe one of the lesser-known resurrection stories in the New Testament, as the kindness of Jesus is shown to the widow at Nain. In Luke chapter 7, the text tells us here, beginning in verse... 11. In Luke chapter 7 and in verse 11, my pages would become unstuck. In Luke 7 verse 11, soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. On her. And he said to her, Do not weep. He goes to the young man, verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus raised that woman's son. Why did Jesus do that? I'm going to suggest to you that it was an act of compassion and kindness. Sometimes we're quick to point out, well, the reason Jesus did miracles was to prove that He was who He said He was, that He was God's Son. It was to confirm and validate the message that He was saying, and that is absolutely so. I do believe that was the primary reason for Jesus' miracles. But passages like this show us that Jesus was also moved by kindness. He wanted to demonstrate kindness to people. We see that again in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6... This is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. What led to the feeding of the 5,000? Well, in Mark chapter 6, look in verse 34. In Mark 6 and verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, cared for them, was moved, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and He began to teach them many things. Not only did His compassion cause Him to feed the people a few verses down, But His compassion moved Him to teach those people and to give them the direction that they were so sorely lacking. Let me add to that discussion what's said in Titus chapter 3. Because in Titus chapter 3, here's a neat little verse. Because Paul says here that Jesus is actually actually the personification of kindness. If you wanted to put an illustration of kindness, if you're looking in a dictionary, maybe a picture dictionary, and you're going to put a picture next to the word kindness... Maybe the best thing you could do is just put a picture of Jesus there. In Titus chapter 3 and in verse 4, Paul says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, 
Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared, what does that mean? What's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. The appearance of Jesus. The coming of Jesus. Jesus is the very embodiment of kindness. But you know what? It's not just the kindness of the Father and the kindness of the Son that the Bible extols. In Scripture, we actually see example after example after example of the kindness of God's people. People who are moved by the kindness of God to then demonstrate kindness themselves. Like, for example, in Genesis chapter 50. Would you go back and look at the example of Joseph once again? Joseph was asking for some kindness in our opening text. But look now in Genesis chapter 50. This is at the end of the the Genesis story. Joseph's brothers now, they're all concerned because, well, now that daddy's died, Joseph is going to remember what we did to him. And he's just going to let us have it. He's going to get even. I know that's what he's going to do. And yet, instead of seeking vengeance, Genesis chapter 50 says in verse 21, Joseph says, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph could have just let them have it. And I think a lot of people would have said they would have got exactly what they deserved. But instead, he showed them kindness. He spoke to them with kindness. In 2 Samuel now, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we read here about David. David's described elsewhere as being a man after God's own heart. And part of the reason that I believe David is given that wonderful moniker is because of passages just like this. David demonstrates characteristics of God Himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David has now established his kingdom, that he is the king and getting things set in order. And as he begins the establishment of his kingdom, 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 says, David says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David says, hey, if you're related to Saul, just raise your hand, show up, and I'll be nice to you. And in fact, somebody does show up. Someone is brought to him. Verse 7 goes on to say, tell us about Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. Verse 7, same chapter. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. What a wonderful demonstration of kindness, especially that whole chapter if you were to read it. Once more in this connection, in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, here's a disciple that we actually know very little about. Yet her name is written deeply in the annals of Scripture because Acts chapter 9 tells us about this woman named Dorcas. And she is characterized as being a woman of kindness. In Acts chapter 9 and in verse 36, it says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. After she dies, all these widows, they come to Peter and they say, please, can you do something for our deceased sister? Bring her back to us. Why? Verse 39, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing the tunics and the other garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. That woman was a woman who exhibited kindness in her life. In fact, Jesus even told some stories about people who exhibited that important quality. In Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus gets asked a question by a lawyer about, well, who exactly is my neighbor, Jesus? 
Say, I need to love my neighbor. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus responds to that man by telling a parable about a man who got beaten up, robbed, and left for dead. And he tells in that story about a couple of guys who came upon the beaten man, a priest and a Levite. And these guys apparently were too preoccupied. Or they just didn't have the heart to show kindness to the wounded man. But then Jesus tells about another man in that story. A Samaritan, verse 33. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus now asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, if I could quote from the Josh McKibben South Central Kentucky translation, he said, The one who was kind, the one who showed him mercy. In fact, in the New Testament, we even see that there were churches that were commended for their kindness. Entire groups of God's people who were commended for being kind. In Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to these brethren at Philippi that he loved so very much, who had been so good to him in so many ways, and he says so in Philippians 4 verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It shared, had fellowship with him in the labors and in the financial support of the gospel, but they had even shared with him in even greater ways. And Paul says, that was a tremendous kindness that you showed to me. But I want you to know this evening that it's not just kindness that is lauded and celebrated in the Bible. The Bible actually goes to the trouble on several occasions, we'll just look at a couple, of actually rebuking unkindness. In John chapter 12, In John chapter 12, just stop right now and think about all these names that we've talked about as being associated with kindness. We've kind of already developed a little bit of a Mount Rushmore of kindness. God the Father, Jesus the Son, David, Joseph, Dorcas, all these great examples. If you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's that's all wonderful. But you know what? I'm not really all that concerned about kindness. Okay. Well, you get your name and you get your picture on a different Mount Rushmore. You get your picture on the Mount Rushmore of unkindness right next to Judas Iscariot. In John chapter 12, how do you like that? In John chapter 12, look in verse 4. In John 12 verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said to him, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus says, knock it off, Judas. Your greediness, your your lack of compassion, your selfishness, your lack of care, genuine care for other people, it's just nasty, it's just ugly. In fact, in 2 Timothy now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists off a whole bunch of rotten qualities that ungodly people often possess. And there are several words here in this list that I think actually denote different kinds of unkindness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to notice after we read this list, notice what Paul then says is to be done. What should our attitude be toward people who are unkind? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, look in verse 1, understand this, in the last days there's going to come times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self. Don't care about others, doing for others. I'm only interested in myself. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. That's the very opposite of kindness. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless. One translation actually just uses the word unkind instead of heartless. Unkind, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Notice what Paul says. Avoid such people. You stay away from those kinds of folks. You know people in your life that are just unkind? Okay, as we sung in that song a moment ago, when people are being so unkind to you, you try your best to be kind to them, but you don't need to go out of your way to be hanging around those people or trying to get those people to be kind. You do what you can do, but then Paul says there comes a point. You should stay away from those kinds of people. And so we've seen some commendations of kindness. and We've also seen some rebukes of unkindness. But did you know that the Bible actually shows and teaches... That kindness is really just the best way to live. The Bible actually shows us that there is great wisdom in showing and being a person of kindness. Let's just get over into the wisdom literature to find some of that. Look in Proverbs chapter 11. In Proverbs chapter 11, these are the kinds of verses that even if you were talking to a person who... who you know isn't really interested in religion. They don't, they're not really concerned about God or Jesus. But you just want to talk to them about general truths that I think everybody would accept. Even if you're not a religious person, here's some great verses to start some conversation. In Proverbs chapter 11, notice what Solomon says in verse 17. In Proverbs chapter 11 and in verse 17, he says there, a man who is kind benefits himself. But a cruel man An unkind man, he only hurts himself. You see, the way of kindness is wise because it just comes back to you. You end up benefiting from that. And if you've ever demonstrated kindness to others, you know that to be true. That you are blessed as a result of that. In chapter 15, in chapter 15, what if somebody's shouting at you? What if somebody's being mean to you? What's the answer to that? Do you just dish it right back? Do you get in their face and you tell them how it really is? No. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Be kind. Kindness has a way of diffusing tension. In chapter 21 now of Proverbs. In Proverbs 21, here the wise man, he groups kindness with righteousness. Sometimes I think we get to thinking that maybe righteousness and kindness kind of are polar opposites. You know, righteousness is all about kind of being forceful and being right, doing right. Whereas on the other hand, kindness, well, it's it's kind of a sign of that you're kind of weak and you're kind of passive. You just kind of do nice stuff for folks. But Solomon says those two things, they go together. They are not mutually exclusive. In verse 21 of Proverbs 21, he says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life and righteousness and honor. Solomon says there that kindness is the best way to live because it actually ends up bringing about life. But I'm going to tell you this. Whether we or anybody else ever sees the wisdom in being kind is really kind of irrelevant. 
You may look at those verses and think, yeah, I'm not really sure if that's so. Well, you know what? It really doesn't matter whether you agree with those verses or not, because at the end of the day, kindness is commanded. It is. It's just flat out commanded. Let's grab a couple of Old Testament passages first. Look in Micah chapter 6. In Micah chapter 6, this is a somewhat famous verse, but it really goes to establish the priorities of who and what God's people have always been called to be. This is God speaking to the Israelite people, but these principles still apply even today. In Micah chapter 6 and in verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That is a powerful summary of what a relationship with God is supposed to look like. And I'll have you notice, it's not just about being a kind person. The Lord here actually says it's about loving kindness. I I, I love, I'm excited, I'm glad to do and to see and to be involved in kind activity. In the book of Zechariah, move forward just a little bit in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 7, I'll give you a second to find Zechariah, because I'll need a second to find it. In Zechariah chapter 7, as the Lord here speaks to some people who were all caught up in religious activity, but it was just wrongly focused. They're all wanting to know, well, Lord, do, do, do we need to fast and do this on this date? And how long do we need to do that? And they're worried about crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and getting all their worship service just exactly so. But God is not impressed with these people because well, because they've forgotten the most important things. What's God really want from you? Zechariah 7 verses 9 and 10. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. And if you got any questions about, well, how do we show kindness to one another? Verse 10, don't oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Be kind. Israel, you need to work on that for a little while. Then we'll start talking about all the particulars of your worship practices. In the New Testament now. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in verse 4. Paul here, of course, gives the marvelous uh, command to love, to love one another. And as he defines the different qualities and characteristics of love, what's the very second attribute of what love is? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love is patient. Love is kind. You cannot truly love another person if that love is not demonstrated in some way with kindness. It's essential to what the fullness of love is about. Let's add to that what's said in Galatians chapter 5. And in verse 22 in Galatians 5, this is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5 and in verse 22, one of the components of that fruit, you can't have the fruit if you don't have all these pieces. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Maybe just turn a couple of pages over to Ephesians 4 now. In Ephesians chapter 4, at the conclusion of this incredibly practical epistle, he's given, Paul's given so many just practical instructions to this church on how they ought to conduct themselves and what they ought to do. He says in verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, can I ask? Seeing as that was written to a church, can a church split if everybody's doing that? Is it possible for a church to split if everybody is being kind to one another? I don't know. Maybe it's possible, but 
It's kind of hard for me to imagine. Similar language is used over in Colossians. Just turn over another couple of pages in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, did you think about what you were going to wear when you got up this morning? I imagine you did. Everybody here is clothed and wearing articles of clothing. But did you think to put these things on that's talked about in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 12? Paul says, put on then, be clothed then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are you going to be clothed with? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, etc., etc., forgiving each other. You're not wearing kindness. Paul would say, you're naked. You're not clothed. Some part of you, some part of your soul is exposed and it needs to be clothed. Put on kindness. One final passage in 2 Timothy 2 now. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's a charge that is given to a young preacher. But I'm going to suggest that this is actually a command that is given to all of us. If we're trying to be servants of the Lord, as we try to reach and teach the lost, as we try to communicate the gospel of Christ to people who are living in darkness, people who are in error, how do we need to do that? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, Paul says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I recognize, and I think you recognize, that there is a time and there is a place for admonition. There's a time and there is a place for even a stern rebuke. But by far, having read all of these verses, by far, what is the overarching theme of Scripture as to how Christians ought to be? Should our go-to move, should our default setting be to be harsh and abrasive and put people in their place? Even if they are so wrong, their ideas about religion, what they think about God, man, their ideas are so way out there, somebody needs to set them in their place. Is that our go-to move? No. Paul says our default setting needs to be kindness. Not blasting people, but instead that our rule of life is that we will be people of kindness. Kindness is absolutely Everywhere in Scripture, we have not even touched the hem of the hem of the hem of the garment. We've looked at, I don't know, a couple dozen verses there. Somebody else can add them up for me. Over two dozen verses here about kindness, which makes me wonder, why have we not said more about it? Let me tidy all of this up then with those two quick applications and the lesson will be yours. First of all, in light of all these things that we read about here in the beginning, about God and about Jesus, can I ask you first of all, how much thinking are you doing about God's kindness? How big of a part of that is that part of your daily thought process? How big a part of that is part of your daily prayers that you contemplate on and you're thankful for the kindness of God? You know, we live in a world where a lot of people have this conception of God in their mind. Maybe you've seen the the the, the comic strip where it's got a, a cartoon image of God and He's got His finger on the smite button. And that's the way a lot of people think about the Lord. That He's just up in heaven and He's just looking for an opportunity to just start smiting people. Just striking people down. As soon as they mess up and do something bad, just, just going to destroy people. 
And people read some of those verses in the Old Testament about the judgment of God on wicked and pagan nations. And they say, that's what God's all about. God's all about meanness and destruction and ugliness. Is that your conception of God? I would certainly hope not. And so my question then is, if we're thinking about the kindness of God, and we recognize how good He is, how gracious He has been to us, how gracious He has been to all of mankind, then the question that has to follow is, am I like Him? Am I walking in His footsteps? So many passages in Scripture that talk about how we are to be walking in the steps of Jesus. That passage in in, in Hebrews, that, or excuse me, in Peter that talks about, be ye holy for I am holy. Are we striving to emulate that kind of kindness in our own life? I recognize we're never going to be as kind as the Lord is. We'll try, and hopefully that will be a work in progress that we'll continue till the day that we die. But the point is, we're going to be striving to be like Him in demonstrating kindness. Which leads to this second application, and that is, we need to remember that this is not optional equipment. You know, a preacher gets up and he's going to preach a sermon on kindness. It's kind of one of those things for a lot of us, it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of no duh. Yeah, we, we, we get that, of course. But then we go out and we leave this place. And we go live our lives and there's just not a whole lot of forethought. There's not a lot of intentionality in our lives to actually put this into practice. We need to remember, this isn't just something you can pick and choose. And I'll, I'll, I'll decide to be kind when I want to be kind. This is something that needs to characterize the people of God. And so that begs the follow-up question... What am I going to do? How can I be kind this week? Let's put some teeth on that. Let's not talk about just vague generalities. Think about this coming week. Today's December the 1st. Here in the first week of December, what am I going to do? Maybe even to think a little bit creatively, think a little bit outside the box. What can I do to show kindness to someone else? And here's the good news. You don't need to have some kind of a viral video in order to be a person who's involved in kindness. The kindness that you demonstrate to others, it may be the kind of thing that only you and the Lord know about. It may be the kind of thing that only you and the Lord and the person that you're demonstrating it to knows about. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. God knows, God sees, and God is pleased when we emulate Him and we seek to be people who are characterized by kindness. Now, I'll go back to that verse that we read a few moments ago from Ephesians chapter 2 that connects salvation to the kindness of God. It is because of God's love and mercy and grace and all of those words that we could wrap up in the word kindness that you and I have the opportunity to be saved. That we have been given the chance to be brought into fellowship with Him. Sin has broken that fellowship. It's pushed us away from God. But God has been extremely kind to people who don't even deserve it and has made possible the way for you and I to be saved. If you're not a Christian this evening, we are imploring you through the words of the song that we are about to sing. We're imploring you through the words of Scripture. Many of the verses that we read this evening would be applicable here. We're imploring you to respond to the kindness of God by putting Jesus Christ on in baptism so that your sins can be washed away, so that the Lord can add you to His family, and you can be on the pathway that leads to heaven. Can we help you to become a Christian tonight? Brother or sister, can we help you to be a better Christian? It may be that this kindness thing is something that you've stopped and thought about this evening and realized, I'm just not doing that. 
I am not being a person of kindness. You know, I go to the right church and we worship in the right way and we do the right plan of salvation and all these kinds of things. But you know what? I'm not actually a kind person. Brother or sister, repent of that. Make the day to day you're going to turn the corner on this and seek to be a person who's characterized by kindness. If we can pray with you and encourage you in some way, we're ready to do that. Whatever your need may be, if you're subject to the invitation, take advantage of it now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.